Welcome everybody to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Um, so yeah, this is uh, I think this is the first time people have seen you and me together with me looking like Eminem's drug dealer son. <laughs> in so, the new the new hair era the new hera yeah so first of all i mean i already you know i talked about this publicly already but I, the reason i did this is because crystal and i are being very cringe as the kids would say very head ass as the kids would say and we're going as uh zach and kelly from from say by the bell for halloween it's both dated and yes all of those things cringe yeah. and all of those things but totally. we like it so so the, the wig was more like trump <laughs> the, the a wig came with the costume but it was more trumpy and I said, yeah, it was too, the, hair hair. Was, the hair was way too long on the wig. It the was wig terrible. Didn't look like no, Z- it terrible. was not Zach Morris at all. No, yeah. not at all. So now this, so, this is Zach Morris now. I'm Zach Morris. I have to tell you, I am kind of proud of myself because, yeah, me and Ella, my oldest daughter, um, with help from our friend Glaucia, <laughs> advice counsel on the phone from our friend Glaucia, were the ones that did it. Um, there was some pain involved, right, Kyle? The bleach. A lot on the of head. pain. Oh my God. I was, <laughs> I was on, my head was burning like I dipped it in acid. And it did. Like bleach is just fucking like terrible. And after the bleaching, which we had to do twice because your hair is dark, um, it was kind of had like an orange. It wasn't bad, but it was kind of orangey. It had the yeah. like brassy tones to it. So then we did the toner. And I have to say, like, I actually think it's a kind of a nice color. I like it. I'm proud of myself. I think I did a good job. Now, now let me ask you, and remember, there are thousands of people who are going to watch this. They'll be able to read your reaction. Are you just saying you like it because it's me? Or are you saying you like it because you actually like it? Like, are you just trying to be nice? Or is it just like, no, I actually do like it? No, I actually like it. I, I don't know if I like it better than your normal hair, but I think it looks good as a change. Like... Yeah, it's nice. I think it brings out your eyes. That's what I would say. Thank you, baby. I feel like Zach Morris for real now. <laughs> You're living the dream. I'm living the dream. When you, had, you had a crush on Kelly Kapowski when you were little, too. So it's my first crush. That dream too. That's right. It's my first crush. So <laughs> You're my first crush. <laughs> uh, we're, so, we're so adorable. What can and I say? massively cringe. But yeah, it'll, yeah. Be, it'll be fun uh, dressing up like I'm eight and uh, doing stuff with you on Halloween. So anyway... Um, we have an interesting interview today. Uh, we're talking yes. to Alexandra Hunt, who, um, had a wee bit of a viral Twitter thread the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we'll just tell everybody who Alexandra is and then give her thread so people know what, what, what the deal was. Yeah. So she's a former congressional candidate. She lost in a primary and it's, I think like a Philly congressional district. Um, she's a Democrat and, um, you know, more on the like democratic socialist or Bernie aligned left side of things. And, um, she actually made waves during her congressional campaign to start with because part of what she ran on was the fact that she had been a stripper during college. She's very upfront about that, talked about her experience, and she talked about wanting to decriminalize sex work and also take the stigma out of sex work. So again, she's very like forward with this messaging and it had all kinds of like impacts on her personally, which we'll talk to her about. But most recently, the Twitter thread that created a whole shit show on Twitter is the following. She said, young men aren't having sex. Nearly a third of men under 30 have not had sex. Technically, it was in the last year, but anyway. And a higher percent do not have as much sex as they'd like. Not exactly surprising, but this kind of statistic is a sign of much deeper problems. Our society criminalizes sex and sweeps it under the rug. The consequences are straightforward. There is more violence. Since platforms like Craigslist were banned from advertising sex, serious violent crime against all women, not just sex workers, has increased by 
uh, nearly one fifth. And men do not have who do not have sex suffer. They are less likely to be part of the labor force, more likely to experience depression, nihilism and other mental health issues. The Me Too movement accomplished so much, and we have to take the next step, normalizing having healthy, positive, consensual sex, decriminalizing sex work, funding sex education, and creating outreach programs that help young people develop healthy sexual habits. We should be moving toward a right to sex. People should be able to have sex when they feel they want to, and we need to develop services that meet people's needs without attaching the baggage of shame or criminalization. So let's talk about sex. Um, That was the part in particular that really caused a backlash. And she actually, uh, after this thread went viral and people were having all kinds of thoughts and feelings about it, she walked back from this idea of like a quote unquote right to sex or sex for all kind of a thing because there were people that were reading into that like forced sex and rape and sexual, she's a sexual assault survivor herself. So she clearly like, that was never her intent. But that was the part that she you know, after facing a backlash, she sort of walked back from and said she would have changed her language around that part. But there you go. That's the thread. Yeah. So this is like there's it's a complex conversation with a lot of moving parts to talk mm-hmm. about. Right. Um, but, you know, if you ask me to just give you the basic like Cliff Notes version of of what I think the best thing to do moving forward is, you know, I think legalize tax and regulate sex work nationwide. Right. Um, And outside of that, we already have a system where pornography is legal. So if you legalize tax and regulate sex work and you have, you know, legal pornography available basically everywhere. I mean, that that's as far as I'm willing to go to say. Great. Yeah. Uh, You're not down for like sex vouchers or. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, look, a public sex option, not. You know, my my 85 year old old lady grandma neighbor shouldn't have to pay for for Dave down the street to get his nut off. (laughs) I mean, I don't. Is that controversial? I really don't think that's controversial. I don't think that's controversial. And by the way, I think like we'll talk to her, but uh, I think she, you know, more or less agrees with your view. And to be honest with you. I really think the freak out over what she said was less about like a poorly chosen worded sentence or whatever, and more about a lot of discomfort with talking about sex at all, number one, and acknowledging that um, men are in crisis in any sort of way. Yeah. And so I think we'll dig into that with her because there's this. Yeah, there I mean, there is this really like big you're almost like accused of being like a right winger if you even acknowledge that there are any issues for men, especially white men whatsoever. And so I really think people's desire to in- interpret her comments in the worst possible light or interpretation, I really think it comes from that place more than anything. Well, yeah, I mean, we do need people on the left acknowledging that there are a specific set of issues that are faced by, you know, young men in particular. And if we don't talk about that, we don't provide our own solutions, then of course, you're going to have the manosphere people, the red pill people, they're going to step in and say, we are the only ones talking to the concerns of young men. So, you know, pick us. And and yeah. that, that's a gateway into right wing politics. And I don't agree with that. I don't want those people to go down that path. I think uh, most of the answers provided by the red pill people and the manosphere people, it, it's just they're bad answers. They're it's vapid. You know, the, the life they're preaching is not a life that's going to give you any semblance of happiness. So 
It's a real issue. Nor be good for society, really. Right. I mean, yeah. here's here's another thing I wanted to ask uh, you about, Kyle, because one of the other directions of the more like religious, right? Like uh, Candace Owens and Men Shapiro had this conversation about like porn is destroying our society. Um, do you think, though, like obviously I'm in favor of porn being available as it is now. But do you think that is part of why men are having less sex? Because there's just like a more of an ability to scratch the itch without having to like put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable. Do you think that is part of the story of these numbers? It's possible that that's part of the story. But I would argue the extent to which that is true, then the lack of sex is not a problem because those men that are actively choosing porn over real life intimacy that is a choice. And that is a choice that some men will make. Because, you know, look, it, life's complicated, life's messy, a lot of stuff goes on. It's a totally whole new deal for you to get your shit together, be presentable, take a shower, put on something nice, wine and dine somebody two or three times to, you know, try to develop some sort of relationship and eventually get intimate with that person. There's some percentage of men that are going to actively choose porn over that. And so for... If that is true, which I don't, I'm kind of agnostic on whether or not that's true. If it is yeah. true, then, you know, for those guys, it's not a problem. It's a choice. It's the people who want to have sex, but are, are not having sex. That's the, the problem, in my opinion. Gotcha. What yeah, that think? makes sense to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I buy that. I mean, I think I mostly buy that, I guess I would say. But, um, and certainly, like I said, I'm not in favor of like cracking down on porn or whatever. But I think in general, people are happier when they have real human connection and real human intimacy. I'm not going to be like, you know, patriarchal and like force that upon them. If they mm -hmm, choose, mm -hmm. like, I want to opt out. I yeah. want to just, you know, feel comfortable and not scared and not vulnerable and whatever. But, you know, this goes down to like a deeper conversation about um, what would help to what sort of societal structures would help to create the confidence where you feel like you can put yourself out there, where you feel like you have a chance of success, where you feel like you're not just going to be like humiliated and have your heart broken because there's part of that that's individual and personal. And there's part of that that's very clearly societal when you have generations where, you know, it's almost impossible to own a home where wages are low, where you're, you know, every milestone for millennials and Gen Z is like set back from where it was for their parents' generation. Like that to me all plays into it. Well, that I mean, that's why this conversation is messy, right? Because you're 100% right about that. But it's hard for people. People want to think in like a binary way in a black and white way. And so it's hard for them to conceptualize of that very basic fact that what has led to this problem is an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different factors, including you know, systemic factors, economic factors, social factors, cultural factors, individual factors, like it's all of these things in one. So how do you disaggregate what's more important and less important and, and all that? And I mean, my answer is effectively, you don't like you, it, all of it is true. All of it is real. And you have to react accordingly. So yeah, ideally, we live in a world where it wasn't late stage capitalism. You know, everybody has a decent job that pays well. Uh, they have their health care, they have a roof over their head. Um, they have a thriving community and social life. They have a hobby that they're really into or a job that they're really into or whatever. And then in a situation like that, yeah, people would be a lot more comfortable just sort of saying, it's on you, bro. If you're not getting laid, that's on you, dog. Like, look, you got everything going for you right now. And if it's not happening, look in the fucking mirror. I think people on the <laughs> left in particular are hesitant to say that given all the social and systemic 
factors. Um, but you know, what I'd say is we can eat, walk and chew gum at the same time in the sense that we could try to fix the, the economic problems, the social problems, uh, all the systemic failures while at the same time, basically filling that void, which right now the manosphere people are filling, which is like, but also, yeah, let me talk to you and keep it real for a minute and tell you at a personal level, an individual level, a psychological level, how you can improve and up your chances of real connection and intimacy with, with women, right? Yeah, because to not do that is to basically deny people agency. I mean, that's also incredibly disempowering if you're like, well, capitalism sucks. What are you going to do? Guess you're going to be lonely forever. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not right. all that particularly useful, ultimately, is it? No, that, that's 100% right. And I guess, final point I'll make before we bring her in is that, um, and I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I think it's probably likely that widespread pornography has a lot of positive social effects that haven't been measured yet. Like, for example, a decrease in crime, a decrease in sexual assault. So I think that um, even though the concern is real, the one about like, oh, my God, you know, young men aren't having nearly as much sex. Could you imagine a world wherein like they weren't having the sex and then also there wasn't easily available pornography? That is a yeah. world I don't want to live in. Pent up, young, aggressive. Yes, pent up, young, aggressive men. <laughs> Yikes on that one, you know? Yeah, but that actually raises a, a bigger important point, which is like, even if you're like, fuck men, I hate men, fuck the patriarchy, they're terrible, they need to do better. Like, it doesn't go well in societies where young men are like disconnected, unhappy, <laughs> like not forming social bonds like that doesn't go well for anyone in society so um but ultimately i would think and hope that as people on the left who care about people's dignity people's worth um and human suffering that this would be a problem that people would want to pay attention to so with all of that being said let's go ahead and bring in alexandra hunt um she is a public health researcher she is a soccer coach she's a former congressional candidate and she joins us now alexandra welcome great to have you Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I had noted your congressional campaign previously. I was following that. Um, I think I felt a little bit of solidarity with you as a former congressional candidate who had also been slut shamed during my campaign. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you were very upfront about having worked as a stripper during college and, um, you know, really trying to destigmatize that, which I really admired and appreciated. And then recently you popped back up on my radar with a viral tweet thread, which was very provocative and caused a whole shitstorm online. And, you know, Twitter being what it is, didn't exactly uh, allow the nuanced conversation that should ultimately unfold. So Kyle and I were both interested in sort of fleshing that out with you more. And basically the gist of what you were saying is that um, we have numbers uh, more and more now that show that young men in particular are having less and less sex. And you are arguing that that's a real issue for society that we should be affirmatively thinking about. So talk to us a little bit about the numbers and about your view of why that is such an issue. So there's about a 30% decline in young men from the ages of 18 to 30 who are having less sex than they used to or less sex than they want to. And I think it's significant to to demonstrate the lack of connection that young men are feeling towards other people. And it it plays out in not having the foundation to be able to establish that connection. So yes, there needs to be uh, better communication taught 
in grade school, but there also needs to be financial security and affordable housing because all of that contributes to a person feeling confident to be able to go forward and make stable connections. So um, in your opinion, what's the main culprit for that? Or is it like 15 different things that are meshed together, which lead to this social outcome? Like, is there is there a main thing you're willing to say, like, I think this is the biggest problem on that front? No, I, I think it's really a combination of different things. And we can kind of unpack each issue, but it, it's adding up to this is this is the head of the problem. And then when we when we work our way backwards, it's a lot of different issues contributing to it. But if, if I were to put my finger on one specific issue, I would say it's toxic masculinity. It's patriarchy that this was this world was built for men and to focus on power and money and less about intimacy and empathy and human connection. And it's now the the hand that was feeding these young men is actually stabbing them in the back where they're not finding happiness in the way that this world is set up. So some of the response that I saw to your tweet thread, um, which, as I said, was very controversial and very provocative, was people basically being like, well, like newsflash, dudes kind of suck, so they need to do better bottom line. What did you think of that reaction? I anticipated that sort of reaction. And I think that's where that's where our generation is in, in where, how we've been raised. We've been raised to hate the patriarchy and as a result, hate men. But we're not seeing the, the bigger issues. And it's really women go through a lot of sexualization, objectification, and that is traumatizing. And then men are also dehumanized in this sense as well. And so it, it's both parties where we're just not seeing each other and we're pointing fingers at each other. Of course, women are experiencing a bigger victimhood of this lack of intimacy and connection, but we can't ignore the fact that men are experiencing a, a portion of victimhood as well. Yeah, I've been trying to, um, I mean, Crystal and I have thought about this since we read your tweet thread and we've been trying to like put our finger on you know, what exactly led us to this outcome. And I feel like the, um, the, the massive decrease in, in sex, uh, men having significantly less sex, I feel like it's, it's almost mission impossible to really it, diagnose and, and pin it because so many things pop in my mind when I think about what led us to this point. So for example, I think like, you know, even just the rise of like the internet and technology makes it so that it's much more common now for people to just not engage socially in any meaningful way with others. Like maybe you do it at your job, maybe you do it at school if you're in school, but it, it just makes it so much easier that as soon as you're out of there, you can go into your own little world with the internet and technology. Um, and so that leads to increased alienation. I think we have a, a, a culture of like hyper-individualism in a sense where, like you said, that makes it harder to form uh, social bonds. I also think, you know, economic stagnation does play a role here because I think a lot of young men probably feel uh, almost unworthy of a woman's attention because they think like, well, what the hell do I have going? I don't have a job or if I have a job, I don't make a lot of money at my job. I don't seem like I have a bright future that kind of impacts their um, their confidence. So I guess what what would be 
it's hard to think of solutions, right? But I mean, one thing I told Crystal is like, I mean, I would say legalizing, legalize tax and regulate sex work, make it, you know, like a safe environment and allow that to be legal. I think that would help. But then does that also, I think that solves maybe the sex problem, but maybe it doesn't solve the alienation problem in a sense. What do you think about that? Wait, to me or to Crystal? Oh, that's to, to you. you. That's to you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I just, with with sex work, there's a push to decriminalize it, not to legalize it. And the, the push for that is that to, to legalize sex work, it means that sex workers' bodies are government property, and they're not. So there, there's kind of a boundary there, and there's a lot of disagreement within sex workers about that. But decriminalize is the push for better safety and more rights for sex workers. Um, and it's definitely that would contribute to destigmatizing sex. We, we do need to have sex education. And when we think of sex education, we think about uh, a teacher putting a condom on a banana. That's not sex education. You need to teach affirmative c- consent, but also how to connect with your partner to get to a point where you both want to have sex with each other. And that's really lacking in grade schools. So you, you know, you touched- go ahead, yeah. Alexandra, finish your point. I, I, I think that you touched very well on all the different moving parts that contribute to this issue. And one of the ones that I didn't talk about was the, the issue of the internet, but I think it's very true. And I have been talking about being a, a single woman uh, on my platforms. And I'm hearing, as I'm getting back into the dating world, I'm hearing from a lot of young people how hard it is to date nowadays because of dating apps, which were supposed to facilitate connection, but they're not. I guess the other question is, is this even really a problem? You know, like, okay, porn is widely available. Is this like really creating issues or is this just a sort of change, a harmless change in behavior and people have other options and they want to be like, live their life in a different way? And what's the big deal ultimately? It's a demonstration of a a deeper problem because what we're seeing is with this lack of connection, lack of intimacy, lack of sex, we're seeing a decline in happiness and an uptick of depression within men and suicide ideology in men as well. Yeah. One thing that really... um... I think part of why I was so interested in what you had to say is uh, we just interviewed, I'm totally blanking on the dude's name now. He just wrote a book from a kind of like left liberal perspective on a crisis among men. And I think it's a something the left has a little bit of trouble uh, dealing with or speaking about. And I think the like over the top reaction to what you had to say is evidence of that, where you know, this isn't like oppression Olympics. We don't have to be like men have it worse than women or women have it worse than men or whatever. But to point out, you know, men are not doing as well as women in school. Men are not doing as well as women in college attainment. You have these, you know, rates of suicide, rates of depression. You clearly have some issues here. And so you have to be able to speak to that in a way that is, you know, progressive and forward looking or else the the manosphere types are going to fill in the gaps in a way that's ultimately very harmful. Fully, fully agree with that. And as much outrage as my tweet thread caused, there were a lot of, a lot of young men 
uh, sliding into my DMs just saying, I have so much anxiety about this. I feel so ashamed, but you hit the nail on the head. And thank you for talking about this because I, I can't talk about this without being attacked or shamed or, you know, called a, a toddler throwing a tantrum. And, and it's, there's, there's more to it. There's just the, the foundation is not being laid to set men up to live fruitful lives. And same thing for women, but we, with reproductive rights, with affordable housing, with economic uh, wage, wage inequality, we, we always talk about women because women are, are facing the brunt of that, especially black women. We don't talk about how men have issues in these areas too. One of the things that I wanted you to talk a little bit more about too is this term toxic masculinity, because I'm a little bit reluctant to use this language only because I think it has helped to fuel some of this like unwillingness to consider the male point of view and the issues on that side as well. Because even though this isn't really what the term means, it's like, oh, toxic masculinity. Well, that means men are toxic. That means men are bad. That means like women have it worse. Um, so could you just lay out for us what you mean by that term and why you see toxic masculinity as not just bad for women, but also actually feeding into these problems for men? I think an example of toxic masculinity is, and it doesn't have to, I mean, it more often manifests itself in men, but it can also cross over to women too, who I, can experience or participate in toxic masculinity, but it's a, it's a belief that a lack of vulnerability is strength to have no emotions, to be very stoic, to uh, not connect and to, to kind of just live your life with your guard up and your muscles showing. And, and it, it really doesn't humanize a person and their experience and the full spectrum of emotions that, every human being should be going through. Um, so if, I think you both made a bunch of good points there. So men, if men embody this sort of stereotypical notion, the archetype of toxic masculinity, then in a weird way, it almost like exacerbates their problem, right? Because that's, you know, it's almost by its nature, you're not going to form real connections if you're putting up this facade, this veneer, you're, you're again, the archetype of, of the toxically masculine man. But it, it, it almost comes full circle to something you mentioned there too, Crystal, which was um, the manosphere types who are, are filling, you know, a real void in the market in a sense. Um, I think they're effectively giving uh, like kind of vapid answers to real world problems. But the fact that they're even acknowledging that the problems are real world problems means that they got a leg up on everybody else in a sense. Cause it's like, at least you're addressing the issues, even if you're addressing them fundamentally in what is, I think a dead wrong fashion. Um, so I guess what's the, how do we counter that? Because my, my answer to it has been, um, it, it, part and parcel of being on the left is always looking at systems first and foremost, right. And critiquing the system and talking about systemic reform to improve everybody's life. But at the same time, then we leave sort of a wide open lane where anybody can come along and talk about, uh, you know, individual personal responsibility, individual life philosophy, as opposed to the system. And then they could like get a big audience talking about stuff like that. And I think the left needs to do a better job of balancing 
talking about systems, critiquing systems, while also acknowledging that you know personal psychology plays a big role in this stuff too. Individualism plays a big role in this stuff too. Personal responsibility is actually important. And so we can provide more substantive answers as opposed to what I think are the relatively flippant and glib and vapid answers from the manosphere types, you know, when they say stuff like uh, life's all about getting money and getting women and, and, you know, getting a nice car or whatever the heck. I don't even know if I have a question there, but I just wanted to throw some things out there. So please feel free to respond. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that. I think that the left needs to pick up this fight because when we ignore this problem, people feel unheard and they, they go towards the, the people that you're calling manosphere archetype. Um, at the, this isn't language that I usually uh, am familiar with, but I think I know what you're talking about. And, and then it turns into these people either don't participate in, in voting or end up voting with a conservative ideology that doesn't actually reflect their best interests. So I, I think it's very important that the left sees this as part of our fight. Kyle, why don't you lay out, like, when you're talking about the manosphere, like, who are the types of creators you're talking about? And what's like their kind of general ethos? So, I mean, Andrew Tate's the obvious one. Um, but then you also have like the fresh and fit podcast guys. And it's one of the, it's an interesting experience when I've when I've looked at their stuff, because so it's kind of like old school Jordan Peterson, where like some of the stuff he says is just kind of obvious, but nobody ever says it. So to say it now means people might think it's like a brilliant insight, you know, sort of like clean your room, get your act together, all, all stuff like that. So the man- manosphere types like the fresh and fit guys, they'll they do want guys to sort of like get their act together and become like a high value alpha male and like, you know, care about your hygiene, go, you know, go get a job, work hard in the process. Um, but it's really all about almost like the zero sum game of like the ultimate end goal is to get money, get status, get women. Uh, it's all about consumerism and materialism, you know, get the nice car, get the nice mansion. Uh, because, and I think their argument is, well, if, if you do all of these things, if you follow this formula, then that will get you to happiness. But I think that's a ultimately a fool's errand. And I think that's a real vapid pursuit because, I, you know, there's countless examples of people who have all of those things that they aspire to. But ultimately, they're they're miserable. And so really, it's more about something you guys have both referenced in the context of this conversation, which is finding meaning and purpose and and having something that that drives you that you really care about. And that's easier said than done. I'm not trying to say it's like a simple thing, but you know, then you can form genuine connections. If you have meaning, if you have purpose, if you treat people like as they really are, if you're not putting up a facade and trying to be, you know, the archetype of the manly man or whatever, that's how you form real connections. And um, like I said, easier said than done. But I think that advice is a lot better than the just follow this very typical uh, toxically masculine formula and that that'll get you happiness. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's like, they're sort of reinforcing the lie that's told to men at the center of capitalism that like your human worth is the same as your market worth. Right. And so, you know, we have a culture that's basically said to men, you're as good as your ability to earn a paycheck and then has systematically stripped away the ability to actually provide (laughs) an adequate paycheck. So guess what? You're going to be left with a lot of people who feel like, oh my God, I'm a failure. What am I doing wrong? And we also have this as Kyle was talking about, cultural culture of individualism, where it's like, oh, no, it's not the government's fault. It's not like society's fault. It's your fault. You need to get your shit together. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to get in the game where you put the burden completely on that person. And so 
yeah, if you don't have an alternative explanation for what's going on or some sort of other message about how to how to be a man and find self-worth as a man, there's going to be a wide open lane for, you know, this kind of like manosphere to the right pipeline that is, you know, like wildly successful right now. Exactly. You, you get it. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was trying to say in my tweets that, that you pointed to where, what men are told their, their worth comes from. And then they're not set up. There's we're we're having economic instability across the board. We also have affordable housing crisis, and that's a con- another connection to self worth that men or boys are sold. And and there's this pipeline, this formula that that they're being told. But yet here's data that men actually aren't happy with this pipeline, with this formula. You know, I've also seen data that says overall, um, young people are having less sex, men and women, than like, for example, when I was in high school. And on the one hand, you're like, okay, fewer teen pregnancies, that seems like a good thing. But, um, and there's also actually less drug use, um, according to the statistics. So it's like, uh, the things that the grownups were really worried about when I was in high school aren't as much of the issue as the new problems are, the issues you're talking about loneliness, depression, anxiety, teens being on all kinds of like anti-anxiety meds from the time they're super young, increases in in suicide, less in real life interactions. So, you know, I'm low to like blame all of social media for the problems or whatever, but I do think that's one component of it. Like Kyle was talking about, it's easier to have what feels like real relationships without ever having to leave the comfort and safety of your house and your bedroom ultimately. So I wonder if you have thoughts or reflections on, um, some of the challenges for that generation, some of the things we should be concerned about there more broadly um, with boys and girls. If, if people are content with having less sex, then I don't think it's a problem, but I think it becomes a problem when people are not feeling satisfied with the amount of intimacy and sex that they're experiencing. I think we have, so much stigma around sex that we think that having less sex is good because sex is bad. But I, I mean, it should be a pretty enjoyable experience when it's two consenting adults. Um, so I, I definitely believe that the internet plays a significant role in a lack of connection and a lack of ability to socialize. I know that with this pandemic, even kind of the pandemic is still going, but we're re-emerging because we need that human connection. We need to that sense of community. A lot of us have felt isolated and it's caused a big decline in, in, in mental health. But we, we're having to relearn skills to talk to each other and to, to communicate with your body language and to read body language and to understand and respect boundaries. And so it that should be taught to boys and girls growing up, but it's not. It's considered a innate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to highlight one of those points uh, that you made. The yes, when we were in high school, there was you know the big concern was, oh my god, these teens are having too much sex and they're having you know illicit drugs. And now, like you described, there's 
fewer uh, illicit drugs taken and there's less sex being had. So in a sense, it's like, wait, isn't this the panacea that you guys said you wanted? And yeah, now like, everything is like, better. <laughs> yeah, everything is measurably worse because I think the main issue here is the total lack of connection, total lack of development of social skills as a result of it. And really, I think a big part of this is is lack of community as well. That's a huge problem because usually it's in community that you develop the social skills that you then use to find a mate and, and you know, a, a good level of communication in a, in a comfortable and happy relationship. And now, I mean, you know, it's just fewer people being involved in whatever sports leagues, churches, hobby groups, et cetera. And now, yeah, people find that some semblance of community online, but it can manifest in very toxic ways online because we all know that the many of the communities online are just, you know, reinforcing all the wrong things and almost uh, making the problem worse. Yeah, and I think even if people are on well-intentioned, good people who are online, I think the culture of some of our social media platforms, such as Twitter, is to find the most outrageous thing and to be upset about it and to have a hot take on it. But that creates this illusion of always having emotions really, really high and people can't operate there and be, be functional. So it, it doesn't create a typical ebb and flow or a, a calmness ever on social media if you, if you want to be successfully participating in it. Alexander, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your personal experience uh, running for Congress. I alluded to this earlier, but um, you worked as a stripper during college. You were very upfront about talking about that during your campaign and really discussing how you wanted to take the, the stigma out of sex work. And um, there, was, there were huge consequences for you personally in your life from just being honest about you know, your life and your views. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. And I'm, I think I'm still learning all the consequences mm. uh, on being so upfront, but I did face job loss. Um, I, when I launched my run for Congress, I was working in clinical research and I was also a soccer coach and the club ended up pushing me out of my coaching position. Uh, so that was due to stigma. Um, I'm a very good soccer coach and I loved my team. So that really hurt. Uh, and then now as, as I'm thinking about, do I run again? Do I stay involved politically? What do I do next? I'm hesitant of what will this mean re-entering the, the public health world that I left where nobody knew that I had worked as a stripper. Will I be taken seriously? I have, I have my resume that has not changed, but the stigma is so deep. I lost, uh, personal friendships and my, my parents were fine. Um, but the, I, I lost relationships. Um, wow. and it, it being, there is reward to being vulnerable, but there is a lot of risk to it too. Do you foresee that, um, we will get to a place either in the near future or the distant future where this stigma against sex work is, is totally gone Am I wrong in saying I think that the trends are slowly moving in a positive direction? Would you agree with that or no? I think I'm not sure about it in the near future with the evangelical rhetoric that sex is bad, that it, it, if 
as long as that's around, that discrimination will happen. And the discrimination leaks into places like banking discrimination and housing discrimination um, and it impacts sex workers. So I, I, until we have sex education in schools, I don't anticipate the, the stigma or the decriminalization of sex and sex work. What was the, you said that being vulnerable comes with a cost, but it also comes with a reward. Um, could you speak to that side of it? You know, would you do this? Would you do it the same way all over again? Would you make different choices or was it ultimately important enough that you, you know, be honest about your beliefs and your life uh, when you were running for Congress? I was heavily advised not to talk about it at nearly every single step of the way, um, not to share it, to downplay it. And I obviously did not listen. And But the reason that I didn't listen is because I know that when there is an issue like this, there are so many eyes who are watching you who share that experience that aren't ready to come forward, but they, they need somebody to kind of create that, that space to, to build that path for them to, to be able to walk safely themselves. So I, I knew that I had to lean into it. I did, um, come into a community with even a, a broader sense of people that who have participated in sex work in one form or another in the past currently, that was pretty amazing. We built a pretty big campaign and, and movement. I think our message was very much heard. A lot of people agreed that it was time to bring this conversation to the light uh, and this issue to the light. Um, but the, there's with every movement, there's a counter movement that's very, very strong. And there was a lot of hate, a lot of death threats. Uh, I mean, a lot of threats of violence across the board. Um, and really? I, I was... Oh yeah. And, and I mean, even, even in interactions, sometimes I would just be shamed or, or put down or not taken seriously. And whereas other candidates never had to face that. Wow. I mean, that's, it, that's astonishing because, and I've always had this thought too, about whether it's sex work, porn, whatever it may be, the hypocrisy of people to cast like extreme judgment when everybody knows like what, 99% of people either love sex or watch porn or I mean, what, maybe 1% is asexual, but like, it's virtually everybody in society. And it's so strange that we have this almost like agreed upon set of rules where everybody pretends in public. Like, for example, I'm sure that there are like porn stars who are some of the most famous people in the country. But like, it's sort of like a hidden fame because in public people probably don't even acknowledge it because they like, I don't need people can't know that I I've looked at porn. You know, there's a weird um, sort of accepted hypocrisy on that, which I've always struggled to wrap my mind around. Mm -hmm. Yep. Double. It's a double standard. I mean, Crystal, what did you face on, on your run? Uh, <laughs> so uh, this was back in 2010. So it was a much more innocent time, Alexandra. <laughs> um <laughs> But basically, uh, when I was running for Congress, maybe like a month before Election Day, uh, this uh, right wing blogger released these photos of me that were from my friend used to have an annual triple Xmas party where everybody would dress up in like 
goofy, like sex inspired somehow costumes or like somehow provocative. And they were photos from that party. So I'm like fully clothed. I was with my boyfriend and ultimately husband at the time. I was over age. Like there was nothing wrong with it, but there were like sex toys in the picture and they were sort of like provocative and risque. And there was an entire internet meltdown over this. I was on like the number two or something most Googled thing in the world for a week. This is actually what launches my media career because a bunch of the cable news shows asked to have me on. I did, did a decent job. And then they kept having me back to talk about like women in the midterms. And that's it just snowballed from there. But the funny thing to me was at the time, like you made a very intentional choice, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, to put forward who you were. I mean, I I didn't really make an intentional choice, but right. it, the reaction from many people was actually to be like, I don't see what the issue is. Like people need to stop freaking out. This is totally normal. Like you're at a part, who cares? And there was a a reaction against the like moral panic over it. And also you were saying you were advised to like, don't talk about it. The advice I got was like, pretend it's not you. Say it's not you, (laughs) deny it, whatever. Right, which... (laughs) I've basically looked the same since I was three years old. (laughs) It would have been pretty hard for me to be like, those pictures from like four years ago aren't actually me. Stupid advice. But instead, I leaned into it and was like, you know, this is bullshit. Um, And by the way, what voters really want to hear about is the economy and, you know, how they're going to have a job and those sorts of things are what actually matter to them. So I lost in quite stunning fashion. But... We did some polling and found that the whole quote unquote scandal, which it really wasn't, but whatever, um, had actually improved my polling position because people were so like, you know, they saw through the bullshit of it. And ultimately, you know, it's ironic because these were put out to sort of like destroy me and they give me the platform to go for it. So that was my experience, essentially. Do you feel like it was hard? Like there were ever some people who you had to kind of prove yourself more to be taken seriously. Definitely. Well, listen, I was 28 years old and my name is Crystal Ball. And then I have these photos released. So (laughs) yeah, there was, it was difficult, right? (laughs) That was always my insecurity. I bet you, you may have shared this feeling um, even without talking about having been a stripper of like, are people going to take me seriously? You know, I was a young woman at the time. I'd never run for office before. Yeah, I was really just cutting my teeth on this. And so I worked so hard to build up all of the signs of like, I'm credible. I'm serious. Here's my policy positions. Here's how knowledgeable I am. Here's how thoughtful I am. Here's how well organized and orchestrated my campaign is and all these things. And then, yeah, when this happened, it just felt like, you know, it felt like that was all crashing down at the time. Now I can laugh about it and see like, you know, I see all the dots connected and how it worked out for me. But at the time it felt like the whole world was ending. It was, it was a total catastrophe. I was a wreck Um, because all these people had really trusted me and believed in me, put their faith in me, donated money to me, all that stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to hate me. I'm I'm like humiliated. So um, yeah, that sense of like, Oh, they're, they're not going to take me seriously. That was, that was really deep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry that you went through that. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, like I said, ultimately it worked out. So <laughs> I wouldn't wish to it on anybody, but it, you know, it ended up with a, with a happy ending. And I also felt like, um, 
because I didn't kind of hide in the corner. And I think this is something you can probably also relate to. You know, I had a lot of, um, a lot of people who said that they felt more like they felt more empowered. They felt like there was some stigma taken off because this was at a time when like, you know, the internet and social media and where I was new. So there was a sense of like, everybody's going to have party photos come out. And I just got to be, you know, the first one who had it happen on, on a mass scale. But, um, you know, Alexandra, that's why I was curious of like, would you do anything different? And, and do you feel like the only way forward really is just for people to keep being honest, even when it's uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the way forward because I think that when you are when you play into that uncomfortableness, that shame, that it it does cause harm to vulnerable, marginalized people. Um, and so, it, I think it's important to lead with vulnerability. I think that it's a strength. I think it's uh, the opposite of what we were talking about with toxic masculinity. And so, I I, I wouldn't. When I when people ask me what what I would do differently, I talk about our mailing program, our mail program. I don't talk about not leading with my truth. Mm. Yeah, there, I, look, I think that I really I'm, I am optimistic on this question that I think over time there will no longer even be such a thing as like a sex scandal or scandal involving risque topics because it's it's a technological age now. You know, everybody has a phone. Everybody has a browser history. The NSA has all the dirt on fucking all of us. There's going to come a time when it's like the third or fourth presidential candidate in a row where the specific kind of porn they're into leaks to the public where people are just like, who cares? Like another foot guy, whatever. That's not a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, that's going to be the reaction, I think. So, but we're in the beginning stages of it right now. The growing pains, Crystal, like you were talking about back in 2010, it felt like a different, a different deal. But I remember at the time when I heard about that, I was like, I, I don't see the problem. And then you had all these asshole, uh, you know, Puritans like like Rush Limbaugh going after you. And it just, like you said, kind of further emboldened reasonable people to be like, piss off, man. Like, really? Well, it was it was really a strengthening of my uh, love of the labor movement, because those were the guys who were first like, this is bullshit. Like, we're with you. <laughs> and a lot of older people who were like, thank God there were no, you know, digital cameras around when I was in high school and college. But um you know, Alexander, another thing that that made me think more deeply about, and your story does as well, is I do think there continues to be a discomfort with um, women having power and being sexual. And we saw this with what prime minister was it that recently, the woman oh. that was like at a party and. Oh, what's her oh, name? Yeah. Is you know Finland? what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think so. And there was a whole like freak out over like, oh, my God, she's partying and she's like dancing yeah. in the sexy way. Like, you can't do that. What, where Finnish, does this hang up? Finnish prime minister. Sorry to interrupt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where does this hang up come from? Do you think? Con- the control uh, that uh, it's a it's a loss of control over women. I mean, if if you can't shame them for being being sexual and they start to take back their power and, and run for office and, you know, climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is, or be a incredible mother, whatever they want to do. Um, then what, what, what happens to men? How do you hold yeah. on the power? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think it's almost like, 
there's some part of this that connects back to like the the lie at the core of capitalism that's told to men is like you have to be the earner and you have to bring home the bacon and that's your entire worth and with women it's like this weird thing of, you know, your like your looks, your value is basically in how attractive you are to men. And then if you're going to enter into the space of like male power, you have to sort of like shed all of that and just like play it the way the men do, basically. Right. Yep. That that's been something that I've been working on with what what I choose to wear mm. for different occasions. Um, and I'm trying to push the envelope there as well. Smile's so, always pushing the envelope with what he chooses to wear. <laughs> look, oh, look at my hair. I'm pushing the envelope with everything. Um, <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. You mentioned something interesting earlier that piqued, that piqued my interest, which was um, I, I mentioned legalization of sex work. And then you talked about how like decriminalization is the main goal. Uh, my position has always been legalize tax and regulate. Uh is that not the right way to go? Are there downsides to it? What are your thoughts on that? Do you prefer decriminalization over legalization? Yes. I So I was a stripper and uh, the education from this really comes from full service sex workers. And, but the regulation of sex work would essentially mean the regulation of their bodies. And that's that's where, you know, government has no business regulating anyone's body. That's bodily autonomy. So that that's where the issue comes from. And taxes. We pay taxes that that's already happening. Um, But decriminalization would no longer push sex work underground and would create a safer environment for people to work. Don't you then, though, have the same problems like in states that have decriminalized marijuana use where there's like, you know, there's problems with banking. It's still this sort of like you're sort of in a gray zone in terms of the economy. I I think I don't think legalization solves that. I think legalization tries to uh, create a, a way for our government to profit from this economy, from a cannabis economy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the decriminalization is fighting back stigma and a war on drugs. So that that's, it's going to take some time to get away from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would just say that some of the tax money went, when the government in certain States taxes, uh, the legal marijuana, some of that money goes right back into like, drug rehab stuff and education stuff. So it can be sort of uh, redistributed in a way where there are some rational priorities. And in terms of uh, sex work, I mean, I always looked at the way it functions um, just outside of Las Vegas. I view that as like a model for the rest of the country because it is legal, taxed and regulated there. And I mean, to your point, yeah, there's going to be some regulation involved um, in the business. But like, for example, there's never been an STD that's been uh, transferred uh, in where it's legal just outside of Vegas because there's constant, you know, testing. And so it's, it's safer for everybody effectively. And, you know, and maybe I'm on, maybe I'm making my own case weaker here and more vulnerable because the fact of the matter is I would even argue for, for not just marijuana, for, for drugs to legalize basically a relatively safe version of every drug. And like I said, could use that tax revenue, uh, redistribute it to things that would make sense, like drug rehab, treatment, whatever it may be. But that's, you know, we could just agree to disagree on that one. Um, 
So let me ask you, uh, I'll just give you my outline here at the end and you could tell me what you think of it. But so my advice to men uh, to basically have more sex or or let's let's go a little uh, further than that, make more connections. Right. Um, and the funny thing is, a lot of this stuff does sort of uh, intersect with what some of the so-called red pill guys, the manosphere guys say. But I think some of their points go off the deep end. But I would say, yeah, first and foremost, you do have to sort of get your act together a little bit, take care of your hygiene, um, look after yourself, act like your life matters because it does. You can develop social skills through things like community, find a hobby that you love and give your all to the hobby so you can develop a genuine uh, identity and personality, uh, not around arbitrary characteristics, but around your your actions. Um, and then outside of that, I would just say it, it's okay to understand that the deck is stacked against you. The system is is fucked right now. We have all these uh, a variety of factors that lead to the situation where men are struggling and not having nearly as much sex. But we can acknowledge that reality, try to change those things at a systemic level, while at the same time sort of personally addressing the situation however we can as best as possible. Um, what do you think of that? Do you like my advice to them? And would you add something to it? Or Yeah, I, I, I mean... I don't want to push us to have a Kim Kardashian movement where we're like, my advice to men is get your ass up and work. But I, <laughs> I think my advice to, to men who are potentially depressed, where it's very hard to push yourself to get up and to go socialize and you feel very negative about yourself, is to try to see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel on the left where we are fighting for healthcare as a universal right, which includes mental health care. And we're, we're fighting for economic equality and stability and that that will contribute to a better life for them. We're fighting for affordable housing and that we're working together as a community, as a movement. And so considering joining us and our, our movement that we're building, I think, would be the best possible advice to for the way out of this darkness that they're in. Yeah, yeah that's a great and answer. Phenomenal answer. Yeah. And what's your pitch to the left? Because there are some people <laughs> who would say, like, you know, we don't really want these dudes. They need to just get their shit together. And what crisis of men are you talking about? I think um, my advice to the left is that uh, we, we don't want to be the same as them. We, we want to remember that these are human beings. We want to humanize people. We want to empathize. We want to be compassionate, right? That's, that's our goal, right? So yeah. we, have to, we have to practice it. And, and so even if it's people who are reformed or, or changing their minds or starting to shift, I think that we should work on welcoming them and, trying to find our common ground. Yep. Everybody has humanity and everybody has worth. Um, Alexander, it's great talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing with us and for opening up what's been a very um, interesting and thought-provoking and, conversation. Yeah, and Alexander, pl plug uh, plug your, your Twitter and, and whatever else you'd like to plug. I don't know if I want more Twitter oh. followers. <laughs> Our audience is nice. They'll be very nice. Don't be scarred by those assholes, Alexandra. You said things that were important and, you know, whatever. Yeah, just the haters I'm, are going to hate. It is what it yeah. is. Don't read the replies. That's the trick. <laughs> That's what you I, know, I, 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 don't, 
Um, so on Twitter, uh, the handle is at hunt the number four change. And then Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook are the Alexandra Hunt. Beautiful. Great chatting with you, Alexandra. Take care. All right. That was Alexandra Hunt. Um, yeah. So like you said, Crystal, what she said caused a bit of a firestorm. But when she fleshes out her ideas in totality, you know, you definitely understand where she's coming from. Just acknowledging there's a crisis of boys and, and men. And uh, what do we do about that? Um, and yeah, I mean, it is true that just acknowledging that there's any, you know, you know, issue with boys or men. And like, hey, yeah. maybe they're also victims that is some people will be like, you know, that's heresy. You're not allowed to say that. But I think it's yeah. true, true of everybody. Everybody, you know, everybody's got a crisis. We're in late stage capitalism. Like who isn't in crisis? That's a really fucking good point. And, you know, I think like the real like lefty left gets that and is willing to talk about it and, you know, sees the way that like the sort of capitalist system we have is bad for everybody ultimately the lies that we have told to maintain the system the way that they have been damaging to women damaging to men um but that's sort of like the more like liberals who are still stuck in this like girl boss feminism like identity politics very shallow um view of society that have a lot of issues with it and just you know are basically like there's a patriarchy, white men are on top, like white men, cisgender, they've got it good. Everybody else is oppressed and there's a, like a ranking system. And if you even bring up the fact that maybe some things are going wrong for white men, then you're like playing into white supremacy or some bullshit like that. Right. And I, I would say the inverse is equally absurd too. the, the red pill people, the manosphere people who just sort of want to blame women for every single problem that men face. Yeah, well, you know? that's just like, that's just like a uh, different sort of divide and conquer strategy. Yeah. Or it's like flip side of rather the same than, coin. Yeah. Flip side of the same coin. It, it actually is. Yeah. It's like, well, no, actually men are the ones who are oppressed and women are doing great where the real analysis is the system that we have is creating problems for everyone yeah. and catastrophes for everyone and human suffering, unnecessary human suffering abounds. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if your message to young men is basically like you suck and we hate you of course they're not going to be part of your party or part of right. your movement yeah. or vote for you that seems kind of obvious to me but even more importantly you know i don't want to be part of a movement that's like we only care about certain selective people depending on how like you know what your identity characteristics are that's like that's extremely gross. That's really gross. Yeah. You're right. It's just a different side of the same coin. Thankfully, I think I really think that that's a small number, though, to be fair. I really don't think it's um, a sizable portion. Uh, They're of, sizable on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you, you can say the most banal thing and Twitter's like, fuck you and your mom, <laughs> your grandma, your great grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is how it works, you know. So but anyway. Yeah, for uh, sure. All right, guys, we love you. Everybody uh, go on over to Substack and support the show. Pay $5 a month to get the video of every show and you get it a day early. Thank you to everybody who already is a member over on Substack. You guys mean the world to us. Um, yeah, so we don't take any uh, any corporate money for this show. No advertisers, no nothing. It's all funded by you guys. So thank you for keeping us independent. We love you guys and we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.